Hey, it's Ned. And hi, it's Matilda. And today we're going to be talking about Franz Kafka. Woohoo! So who is Franz Kafka? Well, that is a really interesting question for you to ask. <laughs> Ned is too early in the podcast for this. Franz Kafka. <clears throat> what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. What a man with what a sad life. I don't know if he was a mighty good man, but he was a man. I feel like he maybe was a bit wallowy. But he yeah. did have a very hard life, but at the same time, was a bit wallowy. Yeah. I'll describe, I'll give you guys a little overview of who Kafka was. And you add in any notes you have. So, he was a Czech Jewish dude, born 1883. He was a dude. Um, basically, so, uh, kind of an important part of, like, understanding, I think, of understanding his whole works and his literature is, like, his childhood and his, his relationship us childhood. really sad basically he had this father and his father's name's Herman and he was like this businessman who'd worked his way up to the top and were the were the Kafkas rich then yeah they were pretty well off yeah yeah but they were sense. like social climbers like they hadn't been born into mo- like Herman hadn't been born into isn't money. everyone no because some people are old money <laughs> no true but <laughs> i heard someone say that the aim of life is to improve your socio-economic position i think it definitely wasn't well uh, yeah i guess for a lot of people it is i think probably for a lot of people yeah okay kafka yeah <laughs> kafka um so his father he was this big strong guy who'd worked his way and he was he wanted a son and so then his wife had a son and he kind of had these big expectations for him to be just like him. Don't all parents. But he wanted this. And then Kafka was born. And he was kind of this weak, sickly, little, frail, little... Runt. Yeah. That <laughs> he was just... Did not live up to his father's expectations. And he basically spent like his entire childhood... And not just his childhood, but his life... Like, being belittled by his father. Yeah, that's something I saw earlier. It's like, even though he was abused by his father, he spent his whole life seeking forgiveness. Yeah. From his abuser. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, and I think... No, definitely, and I think that's just a thing. It's quite horrible that, like, when people are abused by people, it's so difficult to remove yourself from that situation. Is that kind of, like, a form of gaslighting, the fact that he felt like he needed to? Not that itself but what his father had probably done to Kafka. He'd probably gaslit him as such in making him feel that he owed him something. Like he was the problem. Yeah. Well, clearly he did feel like... So Kafka basically was full of a lot of self-hatred, seemingly from his relationship with his father. I'll tell that story. Um, That when he was younger, when he was young, like... Young Kafka. (laughs) Yeah. Young G on the streets of <laughs> Czechia. <laughs> he was uh, he was in bed and he called out for a glass of water, and then his father, just in a fit of anger for some reason, took him out and left him on the balcony in like the winter and made him stay there all night. That is hardcore. Yeah, that is, and like for no seeming reason. And I think that kind of link of absurd and unjust punishment is like 
So, like, it's a very Kafkaesque thing. Very Kafkaesque. <laughs> um, and it's reflected in his stories, as we will describe later on. But so, yeah, so... And then he um, seemed to develop anxiety as he was a, while he was a teenager. Um, and then he became a... Oh, was it a patent clerk? I think it was. Um, and he was working in a lawyer's office and he basically hated it. And it was just soul-draining work where he would just work all day and he hated it. And he wanted to be a writer, but of course his father wouldn't let him. He wanted him to go into something respectable. Um, and so... And so Kafka always kind of wanted to get away from his parents, but he never really got the chance. He worked for an Italian company, but they didn't send him to Italy. And so he just was basically under yeah his father's reign for his entire life and he had a few like unsuccessful relationships he kept getting engaged to this girl felice bauer the same girl well he would like he met her and then he was like infatuated with her and he would send her letters but he wouldn't want to see her in person god he's like taking snapchat 200 years ago (laughs) something i heard about him is that he he visited a lot of brothels yeah yeah so that could be something that's kind of interesting and that he had this seemingly difficult relationship with wanting to have people close to him but then also pushing them away and this conflict between isolation and closeness to other humans which is quite central to yeah being human i'd say i'd say i would say that in our quite in our opinion <laughs> In our very valid opinion that you should always listen to. In our 16 year Are you 17 yet? No. No. In our 16-year-old opinions. My birthday's in a month and a day. Get excited. I can't do the maths on that. <laughs> the 2nd of January. <laughs> Pinch punch, first day of the month. Oh, Locked my God. <laughs> so, yeah, we're filming this on the 1st of December. Happy 1st of December, baby. Pinch punch, 1st of the month. We are now legally viewers. allowed to wear school jumpers. No, Christmas legally. jumpers. <laughs> yeah. So right. I'm just going to wear jumpers and then say they're Christmas jumpers. You just wear any jumper you <laughs> want all the time. I consider it Christmas themed. So, I mean, I kind of already just wear what I want, but we won't get into that. <laughs> Another time. <laughs> Another one. And so he wanted to be a writer, but he couldn't. And so what he'd do is he'd work his horrible job, then come home, sleep for like a few hours, and then he'd spend like half the night just writing, just every night. And he basically hated everything he wrote and he thought it was horrible and he had this one close friend called max broad who was the person who convinced him to publish some of it and he published three collections while he was alive just short stories but they were basically like unnoticed no one really cared and it kind of gave him a bit more confidence but he still like didn't like his work and so he basically just kept in like a drawer while he was alive um and then he got laryngeal tuberculosis um fun fact actually really really sad fact jane austen also died of tuberculosis will ned smile r.i.p j <laughs> yes R. i had R. forgotten J. that but now i know again <laughs> i yes. had the mind um and so that made it really painful for him to eat during the last year or two of his life i think um which eating is like a big thing within the stories that we're going to discuss. So I think that's just interesting to note. I was quite, I was like, ah, when I found that out, I thought, ding, ding. Ah, links. <laughs> what a thing to be seen. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So, and then he dies and on his deathbed, he tells Max Broad, his friend, 
uh, to take all his work and burn it. But Max said later that he the thinks that he thinks that Franz definitely didn't actually want him to burn it because if he'd actually wanted it to he be got just rid of it, it. he would have just done it himself or given it to his parents who would have happily got rid of it and that by giving it to Max he specifically did want it to be published and then Max got it together and then he published it and then over that course he became one of the most influential writers of the period yes period so Throughout his life, we can kind of see this overarching, just self-hatred about everything that he did. Yeah. So he hated himself and he hated how he couldn't have a relationship with his, like, with his family. He hated his works. He hated his job. He was not a happy dude. Well, not a happy boy. No, no. Poor little Kafka. Um, so what books did, what stories did we look at, Neddy? So we read... Neddykins. Neddykins. <laughs> We're getting Should quite we personal make that here. a thing? No, let's not. <laughs> Okay, so the two stories, very short stories, one in particular, very, very short story that we looked at was The Metamorphosis and we also looked at Investigations of a Dog, which I bloody loved. I really, really enjoyed it. Ned is a big fan of Investigations. I am because I feel like it's, this sounds a bit weird, but I feel like one word that would encapsulate it quite well is it's so metaphysical. Do you know what I mean then? Fancy, not really, no. <laughs> like in the sense that everything he talks about is so internal that it's like physical and introspective. Yeah. But then it's also like not because it's kind of within the recesses of of us. Yeah, I think the great, basically the great strength of Kafka's work from what we've looked at is, and from what I've heard of the rest of it, is just like his ability to look into like those the dark aspects of the self that are personal and yet universal which it's is like, crazy which is not crazy but it's something very hard to encapsulate within yeah it's very short intense. stories yeah and it creates this whole feeling around like he's very distinctive i feel like no? definitely that definitely it's just like because i feel like you one i saw myself a lot within the story and so i think and so did i yeah so are we are we depressed (laughs) are Are we just really really sad or is this everybody (laughs) no exactly no that's that's the point though is it everybody i think for him maybe he felt isolated in that it was just him but i think almost everyone does exactly feel that their suffering is just them when actually we are all basically the exact same and we're all boring basically but he was just able to articulate his suffering or yeah. the suffering of humanity as a whole. Yeah. And I think it seems it seems like he like his writing was quite therapeutic for him. Definitely. It was like he was one of you know how they say like, Oh, I'm an artist and like I need to I need to make art. I need like to Like he create. needed to make art. Yeah, like it was how he, <laughs> he dealt ain't sleep. with <laughs> <laughs> It was how he dealt with existing with himself basically i feel like it's like he built up this like hatred in the day and let it out in the evenings and then only to for it to be rebuilt back up again (laughs) it's like this and i think and i think he was quite conscious even of this a book must be the axe for the frozen sea within us is the quote that i saw while i was reading and i thought was quite quite encapsulating of that idea of just like that you're breaking into that really like dark stuff that you don't want to touch and that you couldn't really face in any meaningful way 
in a different format. Yes. Like it's yes. too, you can't look at it straight on. It's like too blinding that you can't look at it straight on. Yes. But the thing is, that's the difficult thing. It's like we say it, but like we can't define it. Yeah. It's just like these kind of questionings and like essences of feeling. Yeah. Which like cannot be described. It's just a whole vibe. It's, I think it's very powerful. Very powerful. <laughs> very powerful. And I think the reason it's so powerful is like only one of the reasons, but like the reason I liked it so much was mm. because I felt like I connected with it a lot on like yeah. on a human level. Mm. And like I feel like that alludes like exactly to what you were saying earlier about how you saw yourself in investigations of a dog, maybe not in, you saw yourself as a dog. I do think of myself as a <laughs> <laughs> as a dog, <laughs> as a female dog. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I feel like what we should do now is I'll give a little run, run rundown of the Kafkaesque. Please. And then we can get into investigations fully. Please. Okay, so the Kafkaesque is kind of just like. The style of writing that is kind of reminiscent of Kafka and mm -hmm. it's really characterized by like just a feeling of powerlessness in the like, in the face of an authoritative figure or a system so a political system or anything like that but also especially a father <gasps> as we have outlined before yeah. which makes it really obvious why the parallels for him and I think also that that adds another dimension to what we were saying that it's not only the personal, the universal, but also the systems that we exist within societally. So there is there is kind of like a bridge of like the connection between ourselves and others, but also how like um, the Kafkaesque, like there's very grotesque. I keep coming back to the word grotesque when we discuss Kafka, but I don't can't really think of other words to like describe the feeling of like and like these uh the systems that we societally restrict ourselves but then we kind of voluntarily put ourselves into as well yes yes actually I, oh my god that makes me think about something so Please. in like marxism mm. or in marxist literary criticism welcome ned the communist welcome <laughs> hello <laughs> but part of it is that one kind of submits to the superstructures sorry i'm rolling my eyes at myself mm. so like the political systems of a time um, like the ideologies, like the economic situation, like we accept those mm. and we conform to that. And it's like, maybe it's not so conscious, but it is something that we choose to do. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that kind of touches on what you were saying just then, that there's an element of choice. And yeah. therefore it's kind of a bit of a, a, a tricky thing that we criticize stuff that we kind of, re that we readily, not readily, but I feel like it's not a conscious thing so much. Yeah, I think there's a feeling that we don't have power and that the, like, the characters in Kafka's stories, they like end unhappily and they all, as such, they die. And, all and they, they don't have power, which is another part of the and Kafka. They, it seems like they don't have power, but it, in a way that they do submit themselves to the things that they go through. Exactly. But that kind of raises some questions to me about mm. like about free will in yeah. the sense that like what can we really do if these mm. systems exist and they kind of like they almost force you to conform so then like no matter what you do you still will 
like even if you're kind of rebelling like the dog is kind of rebelling but still he dies at the hand of the system yeah and is left ultimately like without control and he's abandoned by like other dogs basically yeah i think it's it's this thing where it's like a collective submission of each person individually to a system that yes yes. causes but then also there's the feelings of like personal rebellion Mm. in investigations of a dog like he questions everything yeah but then he's different he feels different but then but then also that there's this thing of like getting into investigation that so just like a rundown it's not there's not much to describe but basically it's this dog and he lives in this society of dogs and he um has this experience where he sees these musicians when he's quite young and then it leads him to just question everything about the laws of dogdom which are like quite strict and quite rigid and they have social norms and things so he starts questioning where their food comes from because their food comes from the ground and he thinks that if he if he stays hungry for long enough the food will come to him and eventually he starves by doing this experiment because it doesn't come to him sorry mate if you can't walk (laughs) stupid boy um and so it was a very quick rundown but he basically spends the whole thing not maybe not the whole thing i feel like he does the beginning bit is kind of his youth and when he sees these singing dogs Mm. and then the middle part is questioning and then the end is this kind of attempt at to find to find something more yeah i think in a way as well though the death is like like it is a submission to the system in a way but it's also kind of breaking free yes like i guess that's kind of quite an optimistic reading maybe 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 that's just death itself being something that sets him free from that system yeah rather than what he's doing because it almost feels like he's playing into it a bit more do you know what i mean like by trying to escape it so hard he is kind of doing everything in relation to it and even Mm. if it's not the same as what everyone else is doing like he is still very much being controlled by it yeah that he has to exist in opposition is in itself a restriction placed yeah that's exactly exactly there's so so much of that though within everything within gender Mm. all sorts of don't get us started on do not get us started on norms societal roles that are placed upon us yeah no but you're right that was a beautiful gem you should say that again or we should just record it and (laughs) play it on repeat we'll play it again like if we ever have interviews at university i'm like grilling that and gonna tattoo it on onto my lip (laughs) into the inside of my lip so i can just go like do you remember what i said yeah no i don't remember what you said i don't remember I don't remember. We can listen to it later. <laughs> Whatever. We remember that it was quite nice. It was. It, it was, was just brilliant. what you'd said. Though. <laughs> um, but it was a very perfect expression of it. Eloquence. Eloquence. Is a virtue, but also kind of... A pretension. Yeah. Kind of pointless. Mm, I don't know. No, I don't think it is pointless. No. There is something... I think, though, the definition of eloquence, you need to... It needs to be using the right words at the right time rather than just like the fanciest words you know i do agree but there's something artificial about it but yeah. obviously there is because i don't know yeah i think this debate between like artificial and natural 
like within the whole world in general but also like within <laughs> literature and stuff is quite a tricky one because like when we talk about poems and things we talk about oh do we think this is this poem is contrived because of the different like techniques but that then it all tries poetry to use. is contrived yeah. because you're choosing to or is it. this a bit too sappy because he's literally just saying exactly what he's thinking which then could be like the truth yeah so, so it's, it's really difficult to draw the line basically but i think that's the best thing about poetry is that like the tensions aren't resolved yeah like otherwise why would we care yeah of course. like we care about those big questions and having those tensions and like as soon as you kind of solve one which is like not possible hmm. it just opens up another door where it's like well then it kind of plays into the other one so it's like those two things people things being defined in opposition yeah. like artificiality versus what's the other one reality Naturali naturalism yeah. i don't know but like if something's neither then what is it that is do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that comes back into Kafka and how nor how his situations are so absurd that there's also like a comical element. I think yeah. we mentioned one time that it's yeah. like I remember being in like the beginning stages of metamorphosis and you know how he's just He's literally acting, a bug. <laughs> he's turning to a massive bug and he's just like, Yeah, this I need to get I need to get to work on time. Like it does make you want to <laughs> laugh a little bit and it's like you're like boy um <laughs> this uh, <laughs> humor in the in the in the sudden and the things that like harm us yeah okay so one thing i thought that i mentioned before mm. before oh podcast Back was deleted this is our second time trying to record this just so in case really, we haven't mentioned really it. this should be brilliant we'll probably mention things about five times within the same podcast Ew. but <laughs> i thought that you could literally substitute the word dog in investigations of a dog for mm. human and it would literally ring true of the same stories yeah what do you think therefore is the significance of kafka choosing to use dogs i think the significance is that the dogs are in our opinion inferior to us so we mm. view them as being lesser and less intelligent yeah. and therefore we like we put ourselves above them but the dogs in the story they think that they are like the epitome of superiority they think that they are the best and that they know everything about science when everything that they talk about is very rudimentary they talk about rain and plants growing from the ground yeah and that is the extent of their science so when i think it makes us question what we know as humans mm. like we think we know everything we think we know about quantum physics about i don't even know <laughs> about <laughs> like what do we thing. really know are we really superior like yeah. can we ever stretch our range of consciousness beyond thinking that we are the best maybe every single being being maybe every single kind of different species yeah thinks that they're on top not species even of just like subcategories of people yes because it yes. actually you can think about it not only in how we can look at this and be like oh that dog is silly for thinking that it's the best thing ever and then turn that around on us and see how that can apply to us to another species but also people within, within our, species yeah, yeah. Pe other humans we which bring is what we actually have to deal to with social in justice life. don't we we really uh, do yeah i don't know we're super into it i think would do you think if someone <laughs> we're indoctrin indoctrinating the school the radical feminist orthodoxy <laughs> that's us yeah you're welcome everyone period period okay so um and go off go go off go off this <laughs> no you were on a you went on a 
I was going to say tangent, but it wasn't a tangent because it was very much a straight line. I'm on a roll. You know the Black Mirror episode with Miley Cyrus? No. <gasps> oh, I have seen. Oh, I have seen that. It's not like a good Black Mirror episode. It's not that good. No, but Black Mirror also does kind of is it feels like a bit of an extension of Kafka, doesn't it? In the very much so. It is like more like dystopian, but it's kind of like the first episode, which is the prime minister ends up having to shag a pig. Yes. That seems quite. That fits very much into the Kafka. It's weird as hell. Yeah. The prime minister has no. I actually can't remember what much what happens but and then it turns out at the end that it was just like a performance artist that was like doing it all for a joke but then the prime minister's already like done it and it's like and that is disgusting yeah that is an image in my mind which i'm just not enjoying you're welcome i brought it back i'll talk about dogs um i think also that uh, dogs we see dogs in their relation to humans basically the whole time and the dogs exist because of the way that we've socialized them yeah and so then them taking on their own independent experience of dogdom they call it dogdom i really like that (laughs) i really do yeah um i i don't know where it goes but it seems interesting to me yes that's really interesting oh when i don't know what to say i say it's interesting it's interesting. That's Someone said to me that really the least interesting, interesting thing you can say is that's, that's interesting. interesting. And I think that yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. It's such a filler. It's like, you know, when people say, you know, or like of the sort, like just really general statements, mm. we're all guilty of doing it. Yeah, I think, I've, I think it's just like. And like, and like, 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 saying like, like that is something I really want to deprogram out of myself because I do not enjoy saying <laughs> like when I hear other people say a whole sentence and every second word is like it, it is not you. enjoy it really bugs me but then I realize that I do it as well so you guys on here comment down below if you think that I speak <laughs> like a moron enjoy our likes like and subscribe <laughs> <laughs> comment down below who's your favorite Nettle me <laughs> what am i doing okay okay so superiority <laughs> investigation uh yeah and then so his disbar okay his encounter with the musicians mm-hmm. how do you see that i thought it was the weirdest thing ever <laughs> and i thought it was interesting how so he sees this mm-hmm. and i think it was kind of a parallel to his questionings in the sense that he's seen further than what he's used to. Like he's kind of ventured out of his normal mode of thinking and like normality and existence. And he's seen like a whole new thing. Yeah. But he, because no one else has seen it, like he feels like it wouldn't be worth saying anything to anyone else because they think he's crazy. But I think that is completely parallel to thoughts. So everything that he questions, he feels like he's questioning alone. And that no one else thinks like that but it's like there we go like like but apparent but something i thought was interesting is that we seem all to be alone in asking the exact same questions so like we all have no originality basically yeah um and how like in in the story he talks about how he will go up to other he would go up to other people with his questions and he had a whole lot of questions and um, they would just, they would kind of 
they would want him to go they want want him to stop asking questions to them but he kind of here it is um it was as if they would rather do the impossible that is stop my mouth with food they did not do it but they would have liked to do it than endure my questions no they did not want to do that they did not indeed want to listen to my questions but it was because i asked these questions that they did not want to drive me away so it's this kind of parallel where if we say that he has these questions that clearly they resonate with other people and in that's a way. why they don't want to drive him away because yeah. they see the bit of themselves as we do mm. in the main dog whatever his her yeah their name. name is but he uh but they don't they don't want to express it and they can't push themselves into that's that's part of the difficulty though i think is the inability to express what exactly you mean and like how deeply personal everything that he thinks is mm. but clearly that everything everyone thinks is so it's like we all think that we have these special kind of introspective different thoughts that no one else has but if everyone has them then we're not really that special are we yeah but no one has the answers and even if you found the answers what would you what would you do with them if you can't even if you don't have the right questions because no one seems to have those questions you have like an idea and a feeling yeah and like a kind of i feel like it's a longing for something a bit more and understanding yeah. more than yourself which i think comes into the whole consciousness thing about dogs thinking that they are or just people in general thinking that they have like the full range of consciousness and know all mm. that there is to know and really how would we know yeah and i think also an in interesting thing of it is like in investigations of a dog like you see his world to be so limited and so that kind of reflects onto how our world view is so limited exactly exactly of like how restricted we are one for example like by being humans it's like when we're talking about um when we're talking about like consciousness or like aliens or animals or ai and how would we measure their personhood we are so and naturally we are so anthropocentric in how we look at we the world look at it in a way that we that look at everything in the way that humans would obviously because we're humans yeah but that it's something that we need to take into account that is almost inescapable so we really can't detach from ourselves basically no that's yeah that's quite <laughs> that's that is nutshell well done you're right but Podcast i think over. but that come that i think that comes into literature as well it's like can't really be separated from everything around it because even if it mm. is separated then it still is exists as literature which separates it yeah inherently I think, yeah i think there's this big conflict between the self and how you separate him like the dog tries to separate himself from society he feels like he's forced to separate society from society even though he finds that he is just the same as them in a way except that he is willing to express what he's thinking. Yes, but, it's, but the thing is, he's not actually expressing what he's thinking because he's expressing it personally to us, I guess. So he's doing the exact same as everyone else. And like by kind of not changing anything and conforming to the status quo and conforming to authority, as we kind of talked about earlier, mm. and choosing to stay within that system and not openly going, why are things like this? Because he doesn't have the questions 
Or in, I don't think he even has the capacity, though, to question the system that he's within. Completely. No, because you must be... Like, we are... That it's such an allegory for humanity, surely. Like, that we are so conditioned by it that it's like, what would you even do if you if you left it? Like It's like we miss the whole point of everything because we can't... Uh, there's it's, with, it's out of our scope of reach. Completely. We, he can question, like, why does the food come from the ground? But he can't... Like, the laws of... They have, like, these very strict societal laws that he feels the need to obey. And he... And he can't question those or, like, try to look beyond those. But he wouldn't he, he wouldn't even know where to start, would he? Yeah. And that's the thing. It's, it's similar. But it's similar for us. It's like, we d- we just don't know what we don't know. But that that's like, you can't even sum it up any more than that. Because if I was to tell you what we don't know, then I would know it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That is knowledge and investigations of a dog. Yeah, I mean, that's like the... That is kind of the crux of it. I think, I think I think people would have to read it. Yeah. To know what we're talking. I also would really recommend that you really read. These. Oh, read it. It's really short. It's yeah. really interesting. Oh, I just did it again. It's really interesting. It's enthralling. But it's true. Like I think also that like the words that we use, like they have a place. Like you chose to say interesting for a reason, and maybe it's because you couldn't reach for a better describing word. But because you found it's more it than more than. Do you, know I, do you know what I mean when I say it's more than? Like it's it's out there. It's un, kind of unreachable. What is? Your a, description of... A perfect description of something. Hmm. Because everything's a bit tainted by you and everything's a bit tainted by other people's perceptions of words. Yeah, well, I think the difficulty of communication is like uh, the biggest problem but also like the beauty kind of of language and of relating to one each to relating from one person to another that the 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 words do not exist words ideas things don't exist in the same way in each of our minds so they don't exist objectively basically yeah and i think also that's where you get some sense of like although we kind of say that oh these feelings are universal and these questions are universal that actually it is distinct yes because yes each person because of your experience basically yeah and because of that's something i think would be interesting to find out how much i don't know i feel like it's a kind of chicken or the egg kind of thing but like how much ugh, i feel like this is a really obvious thing to say no, but like how much the exi- how much your existence shape like your experiences shape you or how much of you is you and how much of you is to p- define in opposition to other people or by the people who are you when you are alone yeah i think the idea of, I think, s- solitude and um, the distinction between uh, what you said there was uh, was really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you said, how much of you is you? How much of you is you? And the obvious answer is, all of you is you. But I think bleeding into metamorphosis, if we want to start on that. I think we should start on that. Uh, it, it's um, this big distinction between what we feel the self what we feel ourselves to be and then what others what perceive we, us to be well the what we are and then what we think we are yeah. and then somewhere in bet- but we are everything <laughs> we are everything that we are physically and mentally right but we've yeah. got this i we've got an our own construction of ourselves 
So, and then what I was thinking with regards to metamorphosis is how he wakes up suddenly in the bottle in the body of a <laughs> in massive, the <laughs> in the body of a massive bug, and he and he thinks of himself still as himself, and he and like he thinks of these things like oh you know he his sister brings him milk, he used to he used to really like milk, and now that he's a bug. He doesn't like milk anymore. So he's got this idea of what his self is. And yet it's different from who he actually is. Yeah. That's what I think is interesting is like what actually is the self. Because how much of it is what you define yourself to be? How much of it is Mm. it like what you are? Like like who defines what you are? Because do you know what I mean? Yeah. You can kind of define what you are a bit objectively. But can you even do that? Like, Yeah. I think... Ugh. So... Vast and I think that there's a distinction that we can make between like conscious and unconscious and how that plays into that our conscious mind maybe has a and it's about scope again that it ha- we have a perception of ourselves but that we can't encompass we can't understand our whole selves because there's this whole part of us that isn't accessible to our con to what we perceive to be our conscious do you mean because we're not somebody else i'm uh uh, what i'm trying to say is that because you have this unconscious mind that is like such a huge part of your mind that is you and yet you don't identify with it because you don't feel that do you mean mean, oh that is that is beautiful matilda (laughs) that is like that is beautiful that also, that comes Thank into you. consciousness and unconsciousness. That comes into artificiality mm. and natural. Everything links all together. Genuinely, but say say your subconscious, your the consciousness of your, of of like I, I would call it like your soul. Do you, do you know what I mean when I say that? Mm, I'm not sure. Your your essence, but that is what what we might describe as natural. But then your subconscious is subconsciously being shaped by what's around you all the time and therefore created but is that artificial or is that natural because you're not doing it yourself or i think also that an aspect of natural and artificial i've always thought that i've always found it so odd when people are like oh this is so artificial i'm like by nature of it existing it's natural right yeah yeah i do know what you mean humans like we live in a way and people are like it's not natural for us to like live in buildings and stuff, but it, it is natural because that's because, we've evolved because that we're way. nature and that's what we did. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually quite interesting because it's like we always they do this a lot in romantic poetry, like they feel a massive separation from nature, but like we, like our nature, but ev- everything yeah is nature, isn't it? Nature, nature. <laughs> I'm Gemma Collins and I love nature. No, because I'm I'm gonna lose my job. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. What? What? Where? Where would you start? <laughs> you think? I <laughs> you would. Do the I would. I would start as like a kind of a tangent off self and how his perception of himself doesn't change yet parts of himself change, like his taste, mm. his overall appearance. Christ, because <laughs> he's turning into a bug. Yeah. But. Yeah, he always refers to himself as Gregor. And a lot of the people around him are always referred to as, like, Gregor's mother, Gregor's sister, Gregor's father. Yeah, he barely references 
himself as his existence as a bug i thought it was kind of interesting as i was going through like at the beginning like you get like a sh- very short uh, just a quick paragraph. interesting thought here Please. but we don't reference our existence as, as humans necessarily we reference our existence as matilda or as ned like we don't refer to our physical body very much we refer uh, do, you, do you know what i mean when i say yeah. that um yeah so that is another another fat parallel i do see that but also that like it is this massive transformation and then like his kind of that he's in that there's a sense of denial of him so for one thing he wakes up as a bug and then he's like i'm gonna go to work oh no i'm going to be late and he's it is the weirdest thing. thing he doesn't even seem yeah. to care that he's turned into a flipping yeah. bug also something else he doesn't seem to care about is he gets an apple chucked into his back i thought the apple was I thought, okay, so when I was reading it, I was like, ooh, apples. And in my mind, I'm immediately, I oh, I see apples and I'm like, Bible, Garden of Eden, apple of knowledge. But I didn't know if that was a bit of a stretch. But then I Googled it and someone else had said it too. So I think that's brilliant. I think, um, so what happens, the incident with the apple is, <sighs> Gregor wanted to, oh yeah, so they were moving things out of Gregor's room. They were moving because he liked to crawl around the walls. Now that so he, was he wanted a bug. space, he goes in the ceiling. Yeah. He's a he's a spider man. <laughs> he wanted the space, and so his sister was gonna. I re- need my space, <laughs> mom. Get out of my room. <laughs> it's not a phase, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were gonna removing all the furniture from his room, but there's this picture that he mentions right at the very beginning. What and was I it of again? It's I. Is I, it a family um, photo? When I first started reading, I no, I underlined it because I thought it was interesting. Um, uh, hung the picture w- Samsa was a commercial traveller hung the picture which he had recently cut out of an illustrated magazine and put into a pretty gilt frame it showed a lady with a fur cap on and a fur stole sitting upright and holding out to the spectator a huge fur muff into which the whole of her forearm had vanished exclamation mock so a woman holding out a what a fur so you know like one of those things that you put your arm into a muff yeah and um this has sexual connotations yeah that's what uh, that's why i was thinking that it's a sexual thing and so then i think that it's um that's very kafkaesque something to do with sexual desire yeah and that it's um it's one of the last one of the things we get mentioned right at the beginning of like a defining human kind of trait we see sexuality as kind of a very innate thing to humans that is like i don't know uh, like like it characterizes him it ca- it's part of his identity as a yeah, human man yeah and then when he's getting all his stuff stripped away from him all his items which kind of value which kind of justify his existence as a human and they're getting taken away from him he wants to protect this picture of sexuality of representing sort of his sexuality which yeah. makes him a big part of himself yeah which like centralizes that to his feeling of humanity and like what makes him human so he wants to just that's quite an anthropological perspective i like that so does that is that when he gets the apple thrown at him i forgot so i'm pretty sure that it is and so then he like runs in and then he covers up the painting um and because he wants uh, not the painting the picture (laughs) what'd you say une pomme oh wow la francaise (laughs) Um, and he gets an apple chucked at him. Yeah, so then he... And so he scares his mother. 
And so then he scuttles away and then his dad comes home and he gets angry and starts chucking apples at him. And, like, he nearly kills him, I'm pretty sure, in this Literally. incident. This, that, that apple pretty much stays lodged in his back for the yeah, rest of the Yeah, and then the it's day. just rotting away for the rest of the thing, uh, for the rest of the time. And I think he mentions it even, like, just before the death. It's, like, the rotting apple. And so... Which um, is quite a disgusting image. Yeah. Like a big bug. Imagine that there's just this apple and you can't get it out. No. And it's just like rotting away inside of you, of your shell, which is kind of your like protective thing. So if seeing that like as a symbol of knowledge, I kind of read it as... I'm trying to remember. This reminds me of a painting. So about apples and about knowledge. Mm -hmm. There's a painting by, I think it's René Magritte. Basically, this person is a surrealist painter. He's Belgian, so mm. he's, like, European, like Kafka was. But, like, basically, it's a painting of a man, but the apple is covering his face, so, like, you cannot see oh, any yeah. of his features. Oh, yeah. And the apple... So, the whole thing about surrealism is, like, about the subconscious, and it's quite sexual in nature. So, I feel like that's probably quite Kafka-esque. Mm. But it's, like, this knowledge, so the knowledge from the tree which you talked about earlier yeah is like covering up self in a way that like you can't reach it like it's almost this barrier between mm. self self subconscious and yeah. conscious and it's a it's a covering up the face is like quite a thing of like it's a loss of identity completely completely um but does it say that we know like it doesn't it kind of implies that we don't know who we are and that links to Gregor, like the sur surrealism is after, after Kafka a long time, but like mm. Gregor doesn't know who he is. Or do we, any of us know who we are? Yeah, I think that, not to get too IB on you, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like the struggle with identity and what makes Gregor himself, because also such a big aspect of his personality is that he uh, exists for one thing, I think this story is a lot less introspective than investigations. Yes, I've, I very much that agree. That he barely talks about himself. And that... Yeah, he, it's almost like a start, not a not like a binary opposite, but like it is very, very... Yeah, it's quite contrasting. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that he... Uh, that he basically just lives... Uh, like, in the beginning, he talks about how he does everything kind of for his family. And he hates... He doesn't like his job at all. It doesn't suit him at all. But he does it for his family. But he does it. So basically, a couple of years ago, his father had gone into financial ruin. So it's to pay off a debt. Yeah. And then when he... So he works this job that he hates. And then also then later, after he becomes a bug and he can't work anymore, he his it turns out that his father actually had some money saved up that could have cut a few years off of the time that Gregor had to work. Which almost seems like he company. got kind of cheated and screwed over by his own family. Yeah, that and I think like there's Kafka this conflict did. of like yeah, there's this conflict between uh, between how self how much the each how much each of the members of the family is willing to give up for the others. Yeah, I do see what you mean. So like Gregor like he was giving up a lot for them but then also when he turns into a bug like at the end they talk about how if this was really Gregor he would be considerate enough to leave us alone and 
know how much suffering he is causing us and stuff. It's quite heart-wrenching, actually. But I didn't feel very sad at the end. I was kind of like, oh, poor Gregor. Yeah, I don't think... I don't think it's necessarily something you get... You don't get emotionally invested in him. You're more emotionally invested in your own emotional... Like, what you're thinking of yourself yes. throughout the story. Yes. So when Gregor dies, I don't feel like it's a character death, but more of, like, a symbolic death. And, like, that's the only way it could end, kind of. Completely. But it is quite... It is... Yeah. It does feel like that. But it almost... I don't know, because it's, it's almost a weird kind of twisted happy ending. Yeah. In the sense that his family walks off into the sunset, their their lives better than before. He doesn't have to work his horrible job. Yeah, he doesn't. And but he's dead. And he doesn't have to be a bug anymore, yeah. But it's almost like in investigations, it's almost like this freedom that he seems to get. Yeah, that it's this sense of being restricted. So I think I mentioned the other day when we talked about it, um, that in a brief conversation I'd had with my mum, which we haven't really, we didn't really get into it, but she told me that she is familiar with metamorphosis from studying in psychoanalysis and that it's often used as a text, like, and that it's seen to represent adolescence. And so I thought that was an interesting interpretation because you see... Like a break from the family. Yeah, and the relation of how he sees himself and how he sees himself in relation to the family. Because I think growing up is basically just a huge process of separating yourself particularly from the mother but from the family you know because you start physically connected and then you slowly drift away but that's why i think it's interesting because he does refer to himself in relation to his family and they're a lot to him so they do work in conjunction with each other like for a lot of the book but then the book but then towards the end he does get like more selfish i would say yeah i think so i think he gets more like towards the end like he's more he feels like he doesn't have control of himself he feels kind of more like he's submitting himself to the bugginess of himself you know Kafkaesque, not having power over yeah. your destiny that he uh, like when he hears the music like his sister's a violinist and he can't resist the urge to see this music which i think is interesting in that like music we see is like very human thing to appreciate and like yeah. it's very complex and but like that is what enchants him and he's can't control himself and that he wants to hear it and he questions himself like what kind of creature am i that i can't resist this like what does this mean was he an animal that music had such an effect upon him he felt as if the way were opening before him to the unknown nourishment he craved he was determined to push forward till he reached his sister to pull at her skirt and so let her know that she was to come into his room with her violin for no one here appreciated her playing as he would appreciate it. Like, towards the end, he's really succumbing to these kind of baser instincts, it kind of seems. And that... I think also it parallels his journey with his starvation. So starvation in both of the... both of the stories is, like, a defining element. I mean, both of the characters die of starvation. And then, as I mentioned before, that Kafka had... Uh, his tuberculosis caused it to be very difficult for him to eat during the last years of his life. Did he write this during the last years of his life? Uh, I think it's I really think interesting I'm... how writers seem to preempt their own deaths in really crazy ways. Hmm. 
like Keats died really young and he writes these poems about people like about the loss that occurs at the height of something's beauty so that when it like as at, in the very moment that it reaches reaches its apex he uses like natural imagery to kind of describe this but mm. the like the moment that something reaches its most beautiful there's a sense of loss because the only way is basically down yeah so it's like once that beauty is gained then it's lost but that was a bit of a sidetrack no yeah. no i think it's interesting in how it relates to the the i think the sudden change of it i can't remember what we were just saying before what would you like to say overall about the metamorphosis do you think i would like to say that i feel like it's less kafka-esque and when i think of kafka i think more about the kind of the style of writing of mm. investigations of a dog I know what I was thinking over the weekend that I wanted to bring to you. Share, share, share. Thinking of, because I was like asleep and then I was just feeling this dread about like having to come, not dread, but like, you know, I was like, oh, I don't want to go back to school tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, and I woke to the system. <laughs> and, and I, this isn't, I talk about like fantasy in the terms, in terms of just like, a scenario that was happening in my head but that I'd woken up that morning with like a little niggle in my back and I was I was thinking of this scenario where the next morning I wake up and I can't move my back and I can't go to school and, and I have to stay in bed <laughs> and then I thought wow that's so parallel, parallel to metamorphosis in how you it's kind of you could see it as like Gregor was kind of willing something like this to happen to him and then I think that kind of links into the agency that, like, no, he didn't turn himself into a bug. But, like, is that not maybe one of the best things that could have happened for him? Yeah, because he wanted more and he hated, well, not hated, but he just wasn't content. Yeah, that his, that he... That his existence could be more meaningful. That by him, like, restricting himself, he... I don't know if it's even, like more mean because he's never like seeking anything higher or anything he You're always right. just wants no, to like there's no like message or anything like that yeah he never like wants to he just wants to like go to work and like do his thing as most people kind of do yeah but that actually like unconsciously maybe that he's just turned turn into a bug and oh what a coincidence that suddenly he doesn't have to do all the things he hates but he doesn't like doing yeah yeah I think that's a really interesting idea <laughs> for want of better words but yeah I really like that I really like that I just thought that was fun I thought about it okay but I don't know I really enjoyed talking about that <laughs> I don't know though <laughs> whatever that was all just like a little guess so thank you for listening <laughs> to the podcast that took the podcast a long time uh we to make <laughs> The thing is, though, we did come back and then we were going to record, but then we weren't vibing with it. No, so, I wasn't vibing. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, it wasn't. I think it was better to come back a different day. I completely agree. We came back fresh and we did this all in one go. Yeah. I definitely, yeah, I'm happy with how this has turned out. Mm -hmm. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you to the podcast. What's the name of the podcast, Ned? Oh, God. <laughs> we're, we're working Two out. Two episodes deep. Come on. Two episodes deep. <laughs> What are we even doing, Ned? What Wait. is any, what is anyone ever doing? Oh, nope, I'm done thinking. <laughs> <laughs>
okay. time to eat a caramel bar. Thank you for listening, guys. Thank you so much. We're so appreciated. Um, subscribe to our... Mm, I'm not going to say that. Subscribe. <laughs> like and subscribe. Comment. Love us. We love Where, you. Buy our merch. Do we love them? Do we love anyone? Do we even love ourselves? No, I was just thinking more <laughs> along the lines of like, this is probably like some random third form. <laughs> <laughs> in and you're like i love you george <laughs> someone from like wellington <laughs> college changing listening in being like we love it? you wellington or everybody yeah sure let's just stick with it we love you okay we love you goodbye we love you bye